Good morning, church. Let's have a stand together. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Amen. Ash was redeemed. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given in me. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Come on, sing, oh, your grace so free. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your endless love. It's your I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom. He canceled my debt.
we want to welcome you this morning to Liberty Bible Church. We are so glad that you have come to be with us. I'm actually going to have you keep standing uh, this morning because we're going to go right back into worship in just a little bit. Um, but I want to take a moment. You know, that song talked about death being arrested. That's where our freedom comes from, that Jesus paid the cost for our sin. He paid for the penalty of our sin. And what I want to do this morning is we're just going to take a couple moments and I want us to reflect on that, that you are a son and daughter of the king, and he purchased you with his blood. That should never get old for us, amen? So we're going to take a couple moments. I just want you to thank the Lord for that. And at the same time, let's reflect on and remember those times in our lives where it looked like uh, death and darkness and terrible things around us, hopelessness. I think we all have those stories where, where God came and redeemed those circumstances as well. Because guess what? Yes, there was redemption through Jesus, but God is in the constant process and business of restoration and redemption in our lives. And so we're just going to take a couple moments. And I just want, if you need to sit down, you can. But you can stay standing and add to the worship if you want. Just reflect for a little bit on, on those truths and those realities in our lives. Father, we're deeply grateful for your restoration. We're deeply grateful for your redemption through Jesus. Father, thank you, God, for the privilege it is to be called a son and daughter of the King. God, thank you for those times where you have uh, invaded our lives. Father, where you have made something out of nothing. Father, thank you for the life and the grace and the forgiveness that is in your Son. Father, we love you so much.
able, God, to do infinitely and abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Praise you, Lord.
Galatians chapter 4, these words. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's sing this. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven. Accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing Bye. 
about the gift of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. I know what you're thinking. How did I do on the props? Just kidding. Just kidding. As you know, you'll, it's Vacation Bible School is coming up this week. And they have been working really hard preparing for it. So if you didn't know what that was, that's what it is. And we would encourage you to have your children come and just enjoy Bible School if you would. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Daryl. And it's my privilege today to open God's Word to us. And also I serve here as the, one of the pastors in the pastor of congregational care. And one of those tables out there in the hallway, I would encourage you to look at, entitled The Care Ministry. It's some of what we do in this ministry. And thank you for those of you that have uh, volunteered and signed up. And a lot of good things have been happening with that as well. If you would take a moment and open your Bibles to Psalms 32. And while you're turning there, I want to just mention a couple things to you. One is, over the next five weeks... So after this week, four or more, you'll be getting a rotation of five different pastors. We'll be working our way around the different uh, campuses. And it's my privilege today to do this psalm on the psalm of com com uh, confession. And then one will be doing a psalm of lament and thanksgiving, exaltation, and supplication. Uh, various different psalms that will be spoken on. And to me, it is still amazing to this day 
how God uses an inspired book of Hebrew poems that were intended for a worship service like we just had. And he continually uses those in my life and probably in many of your lives. How many of you have been touched by reading a psalm in a, in a tough day? Isn't that just amazing? It still has that power to do that. And because in the psalms, they're so real at times. It's, we can see a person's circumstances, and many times they look overwhelming. We can see how it impacts that person's life. And then we see how they turn into faith in God, and their faith impacts their response due to the circumstances, their faith in the Lord. You're going to probably identify with the various psalms that will be talked about in the next five weeks. And one of the common themes you'll see in the book of Psalms is this. And all believers, we're going to have to wrestle with this. You ready? God is good. Say. God is good. And life is difficult. <laughs> and you've got to reconcile those two things. And it, because until Jesus calls us home and things will be perfect, we have to wrestle with that. And as you go through the Psalms, you'll see that our worship of God is based on not just something inside of us that just starts in here. It's because of something that he's done for us. It's something that he did for us. It's something that he's about to do for us. And we can't help but worship him. It's all about him. It draws us to him. And as we read this passage today, scholars aren't exactly sure if King David, who God used to write this psalm, if he was referring to his conversion, if he was referring to his experience with Bathsheba and Uriah, or if this was just a general psalm explaining how David himself dealt with his own guilt. But based on that, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And I'd like to do it responsively. I'd like to include you. I'll read the first verse, you do the second, and so on and so forth. Let's see, Psalms 32, it's called, The Blessed are the Forgiven, a Maskell or a poem of contemplation or song of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And would you read the last one with me? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thank you. You may be seated.
There's a lot going on in this psalm. And the other day, my wife and I, we were just sitting in a chair talking. You know, you, we're, we're grandparents. How many are grandparents? It's pretty awesome, isn't it, most of the time. And, uh, but we were just sitting there talking, looking, thinking about grandkids and their lives and saying, you know, you're starting to see the temperaments and the different things play out. And you're like, wow, we, we're looking at each other. And we said, you know, this one's dealing with some control issues. Got to be a super controller. Then you look at this one. This one's more of an instigator. Now, you got to remember, I know not all of your kids are perfect, but <laughs> our grandkids have something to do with me. Okay, I just want you to know that. And this one, you know, is a little more sneaky. And there's just, there's just different aspects of, about everything. And then I looked at my wife and I said, boy, we are sure good at seeing faults in others, aren't we? Aren't we? We sure are. And this psalm is trying to get you and I to stop and take our focus off of that and put it on ourselves. Has there ever been a time in your life where you intentionally did something wrong and then tried to cover it up. I mean, as an adult, we can look back to when we were five years old and smile and laugh about something we did, right? We're like, well, I remember when I was five, and they said, don't eat that cookie before dinner to spoil your meal. <laughs> Hypothetically, right? No. We took the cookie. Maybe you adjusted the other cookie so no one would know, and I didn't do it. You know, and you got chocolate chips stuck all over your lips, and... You never knew how they knew that. But we, we've done it. And then you got to the teen years, and you looked around, and your classmates, you saw some lying and cheating or stealing going on, and you're like, I know I shouldn't do that, but perhaps you tried. And then you tried to cover it up. Then you got, became an adult. I mean, you, knew, you know what's wrong. To sit there and complain and be critical and to gossip. But then here you go, you find yourself doing it again. But then none of us want to say, oh, by the way, yes, it was me. We try to cover it up, don't we? We try to blame someone else. We fill our lives with busyness, more activities. But the truth of the matter is, when the noise settles down and all is quiet, it's just you, your God, and your conscience. And that's where God continues to work in our lives. Well, as we've just read, David knows a thing or two about hiding and covering his sin. He shares with us the impact that his refusal, if you see this look, this is David just being refused. I don't want to, I'm not going to confess my sin. I'm gonna, he refuses to do that. And then we see how that affected him. And we also see in this chapter the blessing of David's confession and how that it played in his life as well. But before you and I write this off as just, you know, this is for kids, this is for somebody else, somebody that's, quote, worse than I am, when was the last time you confessed your sin? Either to God or to somebody else. Just a few days ago, this past week, my wife was reading from me a, a section of this, this book that was given to her, and I thought, that was really good. It's too bad I was almost done with my message, but I'm gonna, i got to throw a little bit in it. And it was called The Truth About Us by Brant Hansen. 
And I only read the first chapter. Because I thought to myself, why might someone not even want to confess? Hmm. And he brings up in the book, he says, we all think we're pretty good people, don't we? This is where you shake your head. If I were to ask you if you're a good person and you're more moral than the average person, what do you think you would say? Of course, right? Well, I already knew that. The book brings up the fact that social scientists have been asking this question for decades, that if you are more of a moral person than the average person, and the majority say yes. We all think we're good people. Just ask us, and we'll tell you. That's what I said. I'm just telling you some of the things in the book. He also brought up this researchers at the University of London. They did a study, and I quote, a substantial majority of individuals believe themselves to be morally superior to the average person and that this illusion of ours is, is uniquely strong and prevalent, end quote. He gave another illustration. He said, would you be surprised if I told you that 93% of drivers on the road say they're better than the average person? Why are you laughing? Seems like every other person that drives by is texting. But 93% say, I'm better than the average. Well, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I wonder if they would have asked some of these questions to maybe somebody that's incarcerated, somebody in prison. What would their response be? This is what their response was. They're more kind and more generous than the average person. Are you seeing the tendency of all of us? So who was this psalm written to? That guy, right? That guy over there? That girl over there? He's written it to us. He wrote it to us. We see in verses 1 and 2, Dave, King David shares, he says, blessed are the forgiven. The forgiven. That word blessed, it means happy. Blessed, I mean, it's, it's, it's a state of being. David in Psalms chapter 1, you know, 32 chapters before this one, talks about blessed is that one who meditates on God's word day and night. That happy is that guy. And now he says, happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. Wow. Both of those. Let's continue. He said whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. But if you're here today and you're asking, Find yourself asking this question, well, what sins? Chances are this message is for you. If you don't see any, this message is probably for you. Because in the, in the scriptures, when he talks about someone being righteous, that's somebody that is approved based on God's standard. And so when somebody's considered self-righteous, it's based on the standard of that person it's different totally different our world and our culture tells us that happiness comes from three things fame wealth and beauty fame wealth and beauty but David says true happiness is what being forgiven being pardoned for our sins King David says that the happy ones in this life are those that know their transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
But I have to ask King David, so King David, but what about those that, that haven't confessed in years or decades because they haven't ever done anything wrong? In the scriptures, you'll see David experienced forgiveness and God's pardon. And he wants you and I, remember it's written to worshipers, to take the benefit of it. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking, well, maybe you don't think you sin very much. I was just sitting at home preparing for this, and I thought, well, Lord, you and I both know this number is low. I'm 58 years old. I know most of you thought I was 35, but I'm a little older than that. And I took 58 times 365, and I thought, if I only sin, once I sin, once again, this number is low, one time a day, that would be low, wouldn't it? Three of you said, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The number was 21,170 times. Let that number set in. If you've confessed five times in your life, maybe you've got some catching up to do. Not that you've got to do it 21,000 times, but you see what I'm getting at. It should be a commonplace amongst Christians that when we mess up, it's okay. We come to our Father and we make it right with Him. And then if we wrong somebody else, we make it right with them. A psalm of confession. David says your worship is so involved in confession and the Lord and forgiveness. It's very impactful. David was pardoned. His what didn't mean that David was innocent, but his God forgave him. And because of God's forgiveness, because David admitted that he was a sinner, God's forgiveness will not recharge his sin to his account anymore. God's going to begin to treat David as if he was perfectly holy. And David, you'll see throughout this psalm, comes to that point in his life where he has nothing to fear because he is totally at peace with his God. I have nothing to fear now. Wouldn't you agree that forgiveness is probably one of the greatest gifts that God could give us? The word forgiveness means to lift, to bear up, to take away. This is burden that is lifted, a barrier that is removed. What better thing could possibly be happen than our sin that is keeping us from God has been removed through, the, through forgiveness because of Jesus Christ? But this forgiveness, it cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, it cannot be worked for. Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 4, verses 5 through 8. And you'll see Psalms 32 coming out in some of these verses. You ready? He says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Taken from Psalms 32. Now you can see why David's rejoicing. We see in verses 3 and 4 that forgiveness was sweet. It was sweet. But the pain and anguish leading up to it was hard. It was hard. Because God's conviction came while David was stubbornly re remained silent about confessing his sins to God. 
I mean, in verses 1 and 2, when he, there's different levels, different areas of sin that was brought up with transgressions, for example. If you look in your Bible, that word transgressions, it means to intentionally wrong someone, including God or somebody else. That's intentional. Then there's sin. You know, you're, you tried your best just to throw it in there, and you missed. You missed the mark that God had for you. And then he also brings up the word iniquity. It means to turn from a common course that you know is the right way. You just turned and went it your own way. And then he uses the word deceit, which is fraud or, or, or guile. God will forgive you of all of that. But, but in verses 3 and 4, David says, God lovingly chastens the unrepentant. You say, well, what happened to David when he stood there like this? I am not going to. It's like God says, okay, I want you to pick up that and throw it away. No. I know as a parent, that doesn't do anything for you, right? Hmm, 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 yeah. Well, how do you think God responds? God, uh, uh, it's not my fault. If somebody hadn't moved the garbage can, I would have made it. You know, when I was getting ready to make that shot, somebody distracted me, so it's everyone else's fault. God says, but you, it's your garbage. I want you to deal with it. No. What happened? The, the Scripture tells us in verse 3 and 4, he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. David says that my, I could feel the strength of my body leaving. He also says, you know, even though I kept silent, I'm not going to talk about that. No, 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 I'm not going to take the blame for that. But let me tell you how bad my life really is. It says my groanings all day long. He wasn't quiet about that. Man, life is just so hard. I will say this, though, that not all weakness comes from our personal sin but in this case David was explicitly letting you know that when he stubbornly refused to confess his sin this is really what happened in Hebrews 12 it says this and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So this chastening discipline of the Lord doesn't mean that God hates you. It means that God does it because he loves you. And he treats you as his son and he knows what's best for us. So in this case, God decided to give David some physical exhaustion because of his stubbornness. And refusal to confess his sin. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, perhaps God is speaking to your heart about confessing your sins to him. Have you been a little stubborn like David? Or just been waiting? Well, maybe it's time to stop waiting. Perhaps someone has lovingly came up to you and says, you know what? Jesus loves you. And I know you probably don't know who he is as your Savior, but he's been calling out to you, will you confess that you're a sinner and call out to Jesus to be your Savior? No. 
Well, maybe you're a Christian that's here today, and you're, you, you walk around, and, and it's, been a lo- it's been a while since the last time the sides of your mouth actually went up. And somebody says, you know what, I wonder if maybe you need to forgive that person or there's something in your life that you need. No. No. That's what was going on here. But your heavenly father keeps calling you. He'll keep putting the pressure on to draw you closer to himself. What else happened? We see here all day and night God's hand was heavy upon him versus upholding him. Don't we love those psalms when say God's upholding you? You know, though the righteous fall, the Lord is there to catch you in his arms and all these verses. But when you decide to get stubborn on God, the pressure comes on. It just comes on day and night. Now, we all, we all know this. God doesn't sleep, right? So when do you think he's going to pursue you? All the time. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever felt like God had been pursuing you this way. So I'll raise mine. I've had moments like that in my life. I know you're probably just softer and more gentle and, and more easy to you and the Lord. But I've had times that my arms, were, my arms were folded, my arms were crossed. And God says things like, you know, you're supposed to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you're supposed to love others as yourself. And you're like, ugh, ugh, but they wronged me. Uh, mm. In ministry, it's easy. To, it, sometimes you can get hurt. At work, sometimes you can get hurt. And those hurt. But are, are you like me? Do you find sometimes the more diffi- most difficult places that it's hard to deal with is family? Okay, T- two of you agree with me, so... Is there someone right now in your family structure that you believe God wants you to forgive? I wrestled with that for probably about two years. That was me. It used to just tick me off. I wasn't even the one that did all the garbage. And a friend of mine to Daryl, I know. And it looks like they keep doing things to hurt you, but, you know, God tells us we're supposed to pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. And he said this, Daryl, I'm sure you're praying for them, right? I was on the phone. I couldn't see my head. <laughs> oh, I put my head down. Because, you know, you're a pastor. You're a man of the cloth. You're, you're supposed to know these things. And you're supposed to live out all these things. And I went, oh. And I remember that being a turning point in my life. Those two years weren't all that exciting for me. They just weren't. Then he, David says this, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David's vitality for life, it was dried up. You say, what does that look like? Well, look at your lawn when it doesn't rain for about two weeks. And it's 90 degrees out. A couple weeks ago, we knew what that looked like. Now everything's green. But David said, it's like that. It's dried up. 
because sin can keep you firm and rebellious against turning to God or it can also keep you out of that sweet communion with God and with fellow believers and family and friends. Are you ready for another instance? Man, I tell you, you guys. There was a time in my life too where uh, somebody said to me something along this line. They said, Daryl, I know things didn't always turn out the way that you thought they should. I wonder, Daryl, the way you're acting right now, if you're not angry at God. You know what I said? I'm not angry at God. (laughs) And then one of these little pamphlets, you can get them in the bookstore. They got a whole bunch of different topics from the counseling ministry. Awesome stuff. This one's called Angry at God. Say, well, maybe I don't think I'm angry at God. And I was sitting in a reclining chair and I started reading through this. And before I could get through it, I had to confess. I was angry at God. Do you have moments like that in your life where you just feel like God's gotten such a touch at you and He says, I need your attention. We're deal, we need to deal with this. And are you letting him to help you deal with it? Preparing for this, I was like typing up. I'm like, Lord, you know, I, I went to Google. I'm not saying this is good, but how often do people not confess that they did wrong? That's what I typed in. And an article popped up. And it was written by a psychiatrist, you know, Guy Winch. And he wrote in 2018 an uh, article entitled, uh, why some people will never admit they're wrong. I'm not saying this is Christian based, but I was reading this and I went, interesting. I'm going to give you a few highlights. He says, we all make mistakes and we do so with regularity. Some are small, some are bigger, some are crucial, but yet there's other ones that are crucial. No one enjoys being wrong. Shake your head if that's true. It's an unpleasant emotional experience for all of us. The question is, how do we respond when it turns out that we actually were wrong? Hmm. It says, and then he says later on, says, but, but some people refuse to admit they're wrong even in the face of overwhelming evidence. But what about a, when a person does push back against the facts, when they simply cannot admit they were wrong in any circumstance? What is it in their psychological makeup that makes it impossible for them to admit they were wrong? even when it's obvious they were. And why does this happen so repetitively? Why do they seem to never admit they were wrong? The answer is related to their ego, their very sense of self-esteem. A fragile ego leads to attempts to distort reality. And I quote, he says, some people have such a fragile ego such brittle self-esteem, such a weak psychological constitution that admitting they made a mistake or that they were wrong is fundamentally too threatening for their egos to tolerate. Accepting they were wrong, absorbing that reality would be so psychologically shattering. Their, Their defense mechanisms do something remarkable to avoid doing so. They literally distort their perception of reality to make it, it or reality less threatening. Their defense mechanisms protect their fragile ego by changing the very facts in their minds so they are no longer wrong or culpable. 
People who repeatedly exhibit this kind of behavior are, by definition, psychologically fragile. However, that assessment is often difficult for people to, to accept because to the outside world, they look as if they're confidently standing their ground and not backing down, things we associate with strength. But psychological rigidity is not a sign of strength. It is an indication of weakness. These people are not choosing to stand their ground. They're compelled to do so in order to protect their fragile ego. Hmm, there's a lot in that. Let's continue. So what did David's confession look like? We see this in verse number 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. He, first of all, he acknowledged his sin to God. That meant he had to take ownership of his sin. Not only did he confess it privately to God, but when he wrote this psalm, he made it public that David actually had sin that he needed to confess so that he could help you and I know how to deal with our own. Because sin and confession, it works together in our worship of God. Second thing he did is he didn't cover or try to hide his iniquity. Remember? Uh, let's see, iniquity. He didn't minimize it or deflect or blame others. He didn't use the phrase that we've all been used before. I did this. The reason I did this is because you, and then you fill in the blank. He didn't do that. David was open and honest, and he made a full confession to God. Proverbs tells it this way. Whosoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We also see in this text, in verse 5, that he confessed his transgressions. Remember, that's when we are intentionally doing something wrong, whether to the Lord or to others. And this one was to the Lord. He didn't just think about it. He literally confessed it to the Lord. To confess means to say the same thing, to agree with God. Do you see what you've done really is wrong? If you do, and it's you can confess that as sin. If you don't agree with God about that, you still can't confess because you're still at odds. You're still at odds. But to say the same thing. And then we see last, oh, I'm sorry, in Psalms 38, 18, David says this, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. This is the king putting down in, in, in type and in, in words so that you and I can read it and say, oh, even he messed up. And we also see in verse 5 that God forgave the iniquity of his sin. God forgave the iniquity. David enjoyed this instant forgiveness once he finally confessed it to God. But I will say this. It didn't come till after he confessed. The confession came first. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How easy is it for you to confess your sin? In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of a, the prodigal. Long story, but a couple sentences. The inheritance was divided between the two boys. This one often spent it riotously. This one just stayed home. This one went to the end of himself found out that everything he was doing was wrong, and he's like, you know what, I need to go back home. This is horrible. I'm here eating next to the pigs. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to come to my father and say, Father, listen to his confession. You ready? 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servant. That's what his confession was going to be. He comes home and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could say, treat me as a servant, the father steps in place because the confession is now done. It's done. Bring me the robe. Bring me the ring. Bring, let's kill the fatted calf. Once the confession was made, the father was there. But what about the older brother? Do you see where we're going? Hmm. He remained indignant, self-righteous, and unforgiving. I'll, tell, I'll let you tell me which one was blessed. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says it this way. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Once again, confession and worship all together. In Luke 18, verses 9, we read the story of a prayer of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector because there was a group. The reason Jesus said that is because those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he tells the, song, the story of the Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like this one. I'm glad I'm not like that one. I do this. I'm not bad like that guy. That guy's worse. You know, I'm up here and he's down there. Ugh. And the tax collector just, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God says that one left forgiven, considered righteous in God's eyes. And then last we see verses 6 through 11. David begins to leave us with counsel to the forgiven because David wants to encourage each of us. So what does he say? In verse 6, if I were to summarize it, I'd say this. Don't wait to confess and pray. Don't wait. Don't wait. If, you're not, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, stop waiting. Go ahead and admit that sin. If you're a Christian and you already know that you're a, 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 a child of the king, but you've still sinned against somebody, go ahead, don't wait. And he says it before the rushing waters, you know, like before Noah and the flood came, people could repent, they could change their mind, but once the flood came, it was too late. So don't wait. In verse 7, we see this, it's better to hide in God than from God. It's better to hide in God than from God. Now we see God becomes his, his safe haven, his hiding place. God preserves him from trouble. God himself surrounds David and fights his battles with shouts of deliverance. Verses 8 and 9, David has continued to give us that counsel and have his eyes upon us because he's watching over us like a good counselor, knowing that it takes time and to change each of us. And he says this, he gives us a warning. He says, he tells us to be submissive and not stubborn. Be submissive and not stubborn. You say, well, how does he say that? He says, don't be like the horse or like the mule. The horse loves to run wild and free and ungoverned. And many times the horse can be impetuous and just rush ahead and do its own thing. And the mule is known for stubbornly refusing to move. 
David says, don't be like that. Rather, have an attitude of submission and gentleness to our Father's call. And then lastly, in verses 10 and 11, he says, rejoice in God because his love surrounds the forgiven. He uses words in there like, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If God could forgive David, for the sin of murder and adultery and every other sin that he'd done? Can God forgive you if you confess? And will you or are you willing to forgive somebody else if they've wronged you and do it in a way that honors the Lord? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this psalm and the message that it teaches us about ourselves, about the fact that each of us, well, we can't live perfect. No matter how hard we try, only Jesus can do that. But yet, Father, you've given us the avenue of confession to continue to keep our heart and mind and life right with you and with others. And for that, we say thank you. If there's somebody here that has never initially confessed their sin to Jesus, and called out to him to be their savior. I pray that even now, under the sound of my voice, that they would do that and find that Jesus is the answer to their sin. Jesus will forgive them. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. At this time, what a way, what a better way to go to worship the Lord and accept in our Lord's Supper or the communion once again, the communion table, it portrays something that the sinless one did for the sinner. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect one, who gave his life on a cross. Not only did he give his body, but he gave his blood. And his, his blood, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And this is our time where we remember what Jesus has done for us we say thank you as a time of worship in just a moment we're going to come up here but I'll ask for our servers if they would come up and begin to prepare themselves at their station and we have open communion here by that meaning if you've confessed and asked Jesus Christ as your savior you can come that table says I'm waiting father saying I'm waiting I want you to be at my table I love you come and we'll ask that you come in groups of five to seven and, and follow the instructions of those that are serving you but confession forgiveness the father and saying thank you for the son it means a lot let's pray lord we do thank you for that forgiveness we find in jesus we thank you for his blood that was shed his body that was given so that we could be forgiven and free and rejoice in the Lord in song. Help us to do this in a way that honors you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're ready, please come.
Let's stand together. our prayer this morning. So teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope. And when I cannot stand, oh, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on
We're going to continue in our time of worship through our giving of our tithes and offerings so we can have ushers come forward and begin to uh, pass the plate. This is an opportunity for us to, to respond also through our dollars and how we give in our own generosity. And as a reminder, for the next two years, all of our giving goes towards our Gather initiative that uh, is meant to bring focus and clarity to, yes, the renovations of our building, but also to how we do ministry. Remembering that the overarching theme is that we become a house of prayer for all people. And through that, then, we would gather ourselves before God. And that God would do a work in our own hearts. That we would gather together as one to become one together so that the world would know that something is different because of Christ in us. And that would impact, then, those that are not yet gathered. And not yet gathered, not to the church, but to Christ himself. Our hope is, is that those that are far from Christ would come to a deep understanding of him as well as then investing into our next generation and what does it look like for us to pass faith along to the next generation. And our hope is, is that it isn't just some things that we talk about, but all of our ministry, all of our staff have goals and focus around these things in all of the ministries that we have happening. I mean, so what that looks like then for us is what you see here, a VBS, where we're able to invest into the next generation to be able to put adults into their lives, as well as the truth of God, that they might grow. Uh, we also believe that prayer makes a difference. And so you'll see in your bulletin, a way to become a house of prayer this week is to pray, uh, to pray for VBS. I think we're pushing close to 300 kids that will be here starting tomorrow. Pray, pray, yes. This is a guide um, in the morning, whatever that might look like, pray over this as a family, as you eat, whatever that looks like, uh, pray. Uh, another thing that we have as we think about those not yet gathered are what are ways that we can get into the community to be able to be connected with those that don't know Christ. And one of those is through a ministry that we've done for a while called Backpacks Because that works with those that are in low income that might not have the ability to buy school supplies. So we pack those, but not just send them off, but also have people that are able to connect with those that are receiving those gifts. So if you're interested in that, outside after the service, go into the Hall of Nations to be able to get some more information around how you might be able to be a sponsor, also some opportunities to be able to pray over that ministry as well. If you're new and this is your first time, we're really glad that you're here. Encourage you after the service, stop by the Welcome Center. We'd love to be able to give you a gift and say hi. Also a reminder for everyone that is here to uh, be sure to sign in and also uh, put places away that we can pray. If you remember last week, I encouraged you to think about a name of someone that doesn't know Christ and to put that on there. Continue to do that. Continue to pray for that person as well. So with that, uh, would you guys stand as we finish our time today? I was playing this verse before Jason mentioned it. I love how the Spirit works. Uh, we'll finish with Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, you are dismissed. Have a great week.